Let's see what the stew has for us today. Welcome to the Gnomecast, Gnome Stew's tabletop gaming advice podcast. Here we talk with the other gnomes about gaming things to avoid becoming part of the stew. So I guess we'd better be good. This episode is brought to you by awesome Patreon backers like the jaunty Jennifer Kathleen, the Kathleen Halpern, and the salacious Sam G. Today, we have myself, Ange, along with Jared and Senda, and we're going to talk about those moments of absolute magic that happen in our games and keep us all coming back to the table, and what we as GMs can do to help those moments happen. Now, before we dive into that main topic, let's ask our get-to-know-gnome question. And I have a feeling this is going to be the same for most (laughs) of us, but how soon after your first RPG session did you realize you were hooked for life? Senda, I'm going to start with you. Yeah, it's interesting the way that you asked that question, because you asked after the session, like that it was supposed to be over, and then I realized, <laughs> which I just don't think is actually accurate. It was probably, I don't know, it was somewhere, it, it, the moment we got past the part where I was like, I what do I do with these numbers? <laughs> and people shoving dice at me. I remember that I leapt up on a couch and sang a song. That's in your very first session. It was probably, yeah, it was probably already hooked at that point. I had some medieval like shanties just, you know, (laughs) hanging around in my head for no reason. Just just waiting. Just waiting. Anyway, Jared, you should also answer the question. I think I will. Yeah, I mean, the funny thing is, I pr- it probably wasn't after I played either, because I stole my D&D basic set from my sister, who got it, but didn't have time to read through it, and I felt so bad that it was just sitting there on the shelf, so I figured it should be in my room on the shelf. It needs attention. <laughs> and yeah, because I wanted it more, I took it. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the laws of possession work. Yes. <laughs> Especially among siblings. Did I tell yes. you that my first character was a kender? <laughs> Oh, goodness. But yeah, I read through it and it was probably over a year before I technically ran a real session. But even just reading through it, it was like, this is storytelling. And I do storytelling in my head all the time anyway. And there's a structure to it, which makes it more challenging because then I have to weave the story in between all these numbers. And that actually makes it more appealing to me if I could just figure out how to actually use these numbers <laughs> the way they're supposed to be used. There's got to be something to this. <laughs> what about you, Ange? I actually think I, I'm going to say it was the second session I played. Because while I knew about d and I'd never really been exposed to it. I don't think I'd seen any of the books beforehand. And the very first game I got invited to was combined with a lot of stuff going on, like having a crush on the guy who invited me into the game (laughs) and the guy who invited me to the game showing up to my house on a motorcycle to drive me to his (laughs) house to play the game. (laughs) And that very first game, not playing a character of my own creation, playing somebody else's halfling and then the entire thing ending in a tpk kind of maybe i may have survived but we never really resolved that (laughs) so it wasn't until the second session where i actually made my own character and got to play and i think by the time that second session happened a lot of the extra that was part of that first session had kind of settled into a 
like a like a like this is this is level zero. This is normal now. <laughs> and that second character, like immediately, like I went home and drew pictures of her and decided what her outfit looked like. I didn't show these to anybody, but I drew pictures of my character. I had a comic. I literally had a comic. <laughs> It was called the seventh floor because I lived on the seventh floor of the dorms <laughs> along with everyone else who played the game. <laughs> and in this comic, I drew us both as our normal selves, but then also jokingly like acting as our characters, but like in the dorm. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my when God. When you were saying that, Anjo, I, I was just about to ask if you had seen Turning Red yet. So. <laughs> Yes, yes. God, yes I, I haven't have. seen it yet. No spoilers. I really want to. But I have to no, watch it no spoilers. No spoilers. Just something that she said reminded me of that. Anyone who says that that movie is not representative of teenage <laughs> girls has never been a teenage girl. I am so excited to see I, it. I loved I, it. And I, I did I, promise I even... that I would watch it with my child, so I'm not allowed to watch it by myself. <laughs> Anyway. So let's get into our main topic, because <laughs> otherwise we're just going to end up talking about turning red without trying to spoil Senda. Or yeah, we'll like keep talking about our gamer initiation stories, which is sort of like a whole other thing. But it's the kind of thing you can have as a conversation, but nobody really is interested in listening to. <laughs> so on that main topic, we thought it would be fun to talk about some of those amazing magical moments that happen in gaming that nobody could have planned for, but keep us all coming back to the table. Now, to be fair, you cannot force these moments. They cannot be forced. You cannot, as a GM, decide this session is going to be monumentous and everyone's going to love it. No, no, no. You, you, you can't do that. But we as GMs can do things to help leave room for them to happen and enjoy the ride when we do occur. So this time I'm going to start with Jared. And Jared, why don't you tell us about one of those magical moments that has happened in your gaming history? Okay, so I think I'm going to lead this one off talking about a Monster of the Week game that I ran for a convention because I so loved how this unfolded. We had everyone at the table doing their, you know, making up their characters. And I had stretched out and let up to eight people play, which is a lot for Monster of the Week. But, it is. you know, after a while, connecting eight people, people started looking at these things and going, most of these connections are, are like, um, we're down to relatives now, and we don't want this to be like a family of, you know, eight hunters that showed up that are all, you know, interrelated. And <laughs> Eight hunter brothers showing up for eight <laughs> hunter wives. <laughs> 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 then they're going to do a musical. <laughs> seven monsters for seven brothers. <laughs> yes, yes, there you go. <laughs> it's a supernatural prequel. But <laughs> but the uh, what ended up happening there was people on their own kind of figured out, okay, if I'm related to this person, but we could know about these people. And what ended up happening is we ended up with like three groups that were essentially people from three different monster hunting shows. Okay, that's amazing. That all kind of knew each other. So you had the FBI agent. And the government people that were kind of like from the X-Files type show. And then you had the, the badass brothers that were kind of like the supernatural ones. And then we had the chosen one and her cousin that were, that were like from Buffy. And what turned out so good about this was tracking down the monster ended up being kind of the B-plot, but it was fine because it was each one of them going through their normal procedure and how that procedure stepped on the toes of... Uh. 
the other people the way they normally did it because you know the chosen one is just like you know i'm gonna go out and call them out and then we'll have a fight one-on-one because i'm the chosen one that's how it's supposed to happen and you know then the brothers are trying to be all sneaky and and sneak around and the government types are just you know calling government agencies and they're like what are you doing we don't talk to cops we lie to cops (laughs) (laughs) and it was so great because in the end they were hunting down there was a cabin in the woods mimic (laughs) and they ended up hunting it down but it was still so much more memorable just the three groups of hunters from different paradigms trying to work together and a lot of that was just in you know talking about how they were all going to be connected at the beginning of the session not trying to force them to say oh you're all like super elite government types or you're all this just kind of hearing what the players were saying their connections were going to be and then when somebody said heck we should just you know all be from different tv shows and saying yes you should run with that and encouraging that when somebody has an idea like that is what really helped to facilitate that to come about when i started talking you know proposing this topic one of the things i thought of is the conceit that comes from most powered by the apocalypse games of which monster of the week is one to be a fan of the characters Mm -hmm. and i think part of that is allowing the players to have room to come up with ways to fit their ideas into the scenario now you can always have situations where you have somebody off in left field doing their own thing, like the time I played Masks and we had a guy playing Zack Snyder's Murderverse <laughs> while the rest no. of us were playing Young Justice. <laughs> uh. But a lot of times, if you work with what the players are giving you, it creates those moments that you as a GM could have never planned for. Mm-hmm. So to me, I actually think, and this is just, and I think this goes to your point about not being able to plan for them, The most magical moments in pretty much every game I've ever played in have all been moments of improv. Mm -hmm. And I think, so I want to tell a story because it's really good and I like (laughs) telling gaming stories even though people don't like listening to them. Whatever. Captive audience. I like listening to them. But the thing that I will say, and this isn't even a game that I was running, it just happens to be the most recent example of game magic that I have personally participated in. And so it's the easiest to describe because it happened like a month ago, right? It didn't happen very long ago. <laughs> but I think the key is, and it definitely happened in this scenario that that let us run with this and turn it into the magic that it turned into, is that when something... I, I was actually the player who initiated. That feels really unhumble to say, but I think that that's kind of <laughs> what happened. So I was the player who initiated sort of this offbeat, weird, like, oh, here's my weird way to solve this problem. And it it turned into this magical moment of absolute hilarity. It was a hilarious magical moment. They're not always <laughs> hilarious. Sometimes they're ooey or awe or whatever. This one was hilarious. And it turned into that because even though it was somewhat illogical and I just happened to start making up facts about the world that we were in and about the NPC that I was currently in a scene with, because the GM didn't turn to me and say, oh, no, that's not true, Right. Because he said, yes, and, instead of saying no, we went to this magical place. Now I'm going to tell you the story. (laughs) It brings me such delight. I've talked about it a couple times before because it was really magical. So we are currently playing not Monster of the Week, but uh, Monster Hearts (laughs) 2. Different monster game. I'm playing the Fae, and I have a problem with doors, as in I can't control... When a door that I go through 
might take me to the Fae instead of where I expected it to take me in the human realm, right? <laughs> and it turns out that my cousin has been, frankly, fucking with me and like yanking me into the Fae realm when I open doors at random. So that's on him. But he's in this story, which is why I mention it. So he yanks me through into the Fae so that I can go have a conversation with him. And he's trying to basically drive a bargain, like get a promise from me, because the Fae in Monster Hearts, that playbook is all about promises, right? So for me, this is a game about promises. I don't want to give him a promise because I don't want to be beholden to him in that way. Because, I mean, as a character, I don't. As a player, I totally would have gone along with that and then seen what had happened. But so my like poor little Faye has just gotten yanked out of the cast party for the bondage version of Macbeth that we're putting on at the community college. <laughs> and so she's like, uh, but all she's got in her pocket is like a bag of gummy worms that were part of the food that she was bringing to the party because she's the stage manager. And so he's trying to kind of push her into a bargain. He's a, 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 like a fawn, a satyr, and he's got this cool crown of like antlers, flowers, spiders, and snakes, and all of this stuff. We're having this really intense conversation, and he's trying to trade me my ex-best friend's memories of her previous life for a promise, for like a, a favor owed, right? And I'm like, um, cool, um, I don't want to make a deal with you, but I'll make a deal with your snakes, in your crown, because I know that they love gummy worms. <laughs> and I pull the gummy worms out of my pocket, and I start telling the snakes that I will give them the gummy worms if they will give me the memories. <laughs> and at that moment, this is where the magic happened. Three of the other people at the table started playing the snakes in his crown. <laughs> they are now fully fleshed out characters. They love gummy worms and human candy food. And they are, like, really raucous. And they kind of just bicker with each other like little old ladies. We spent probably about 15 to 20 minutes with the snakes. Until the GM was laughing so hard, he was like, whatever, you can have it. Just, just stop. Give them the gummy worms. Whatever. <laughs> so the magical moment is, we turned an NPC's non-sentient pets into <laughs> sentient characters in the game. And now they keep reappearing, right? Like, they are now reoccurring characters who keep coming back. And they love candy. And they're bribable, apparently. So <laughs> I can now make my cousin do anything because he has a bribable snakehead. <laughs> I think that, that you know, you, you bring up the, the point of the players latching on to NPCs, even if the GM didn't plan on that. Right. I was <laughs> telling Jared not too long ago a story about... I threw a typical bar brawl fight of some thugs trying to shake down my PC's bartender friend for some money, and they had an ogre with them as basically the muscle. And the players cast some sort of spell on the ogre that caused fear and despair, and so I just said the ogre broke down in tears, which made all of the players feel sorry for the ogre. So they didn't kill the ogre in the fight, and they basically, when he got arrested, went to the city guard, bailed him out of jail, and got him a job at the tavern, working as a bouncer, being paid for in cookies. Amazing. And, like, to this day, the players still talk fondly about Debris, Redley, and Mabel, the three characters that work at that tavern. That's and. Like, yeah. I never planned on Debris being a character, <laughs> but there he is, working for cookies. Mm-hmm. So, uh, to bring it back to what you can do, <laughs> <laughs> but to bring it back to what you can do, I think even 
as a GM, you can't predict that it's going to happen and you have to leave space for it to happen because you are that person who's in control of the world, right? But I think the thing that Ange and I just both accidentally also hit on is that as the other players at the table, you also have the opportunity to engage in support like those moments, right? I think there's, you know, probably a discussion about spotlight and sharing spotlight to make sure that you're not jumping in and stepping on someone's toes. But I think there's definitely a space as a player, as well as a GM, to be able to say yes and, and to bring more, right? Well, and like one of the important things I learned in that whole thing is for that particular campaign, one of my main goals in the early stages was to get my players to like Redley. Redley was the halfling, the one-armed halfling tavern owner who used to serve with them in the last war. This was an Eberron campaign. And it was very important to me that they liked Redley. And that's often one of those things that's very tricky for a GM because you set up an NPC that you want your characters to like. And then if it doesn't go right, you're stuck there with all these hooks and all this plot, you wanted to feed them through this one NPC that the players can't stand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so knowing my players allowed me to kind of craft Redly in a slightly better way to make them, one, they felt protective of him. You know, like the, the whole backstory of how he lost his arm was something that they cr- they came up with because he used to serve with them. And so it made them feel protective of him. and. So that way, even when Redley did something stupid, like agree to have them fight in a pit fight for money, (laughs) they went along with it because it was Redley, you know, and that was a mix of knowing how your players are going to respond to certain things, but also rolling with it when you see how they're actually responding. Because like, if they don't like an NPC, you can't tell them they have to like that NPC. Mm. Yeah, and and that has a lot to do also with like how the players feel about that NPC. Mm-hmm. Like let's let's not lie, there's a lot of bleed over <laughs> in those in that space, right? If the initial reaction of the players is to hate an NPC, it's very unlikely that their characters are going to like them. But yeah. it's hard to control how people will feel about a made-up character that they may see and interpret in their mind's eye differently than you thought you were expressing them. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, and exactly. and then sometimes you get a a player that completely embraces talking to the spirit of a dead dragon through its horde. <laughs> that <laughs> I can't even tell that story because it's not over yet. Yeah, it's not over yet. <laughs> You're still talking to the dragon. Okay, <laughs> nobody else can hear the dragon. Nobody else can hear the dragon. But Eileen's character Ivy has just been having this ongoing conversation with this dead void dragon. I once had a direct line of communication as an elven mage directly to my patron goddess, except that she only talked to me in emojis. So she basically just texted back emojis when I asked her questions. And then I just had to figure out, like, what do I think this means? (laughs) That is unrelated to anything. That was also a magic moment, though, I think, when when we figured out that that's how we were going to handle the fact that I could basically ask questions about the future, but I didn't, we couldn't break the game like that. And so the answer was, well, sure, you know the future. It's, you know, red flag, smiley face, thinky face, rain cloud, you know. Figure it out. Of course. (laughs) I do think GM management of Spotlight is one of those things that can help 
allow these magical moments to happen. Because, you know, I think we've all been we've all been playing long enough that we've all been in games where if you have a GM who doesn't know how to manage the spotlight, you get one dominant player who just railroads everything and the entire game ends up just being their rodeo and the rest of us are all along for the ride. But a GM who knows how to manage the spotlight and pointed at things players are interested in, like like Jared totally could have not had this void dragon talk to us at all or you know responded as enthusiastically when one of the players latched onto it but because he did that there's now this special thing in the game between that character and this npc you know it's like knowing the spotlight thing is is important i think the spotlight thing is important i'm going to i'm going to throw this on the players again though i'm going to just say and we've been endeavoring to occasionally change this. I think we give a lot of GMing advice, and I don't think we necessarily, not like we necessarily this podcast. I think like as a whole, as as a chatty, talky yeah, collection mm-hmm. of people who talk about games, we tend to talk about GMing a lot. I think this is another moment where we also get to say player advice, which is that the more collaboratively the players are working at the table, mm-hmm. the more likely I think these magic moments are to happen. And I think it's also on the players, like, work together and work to find ways to work together, creating a sense of camaraderie and, like, a team kind of atmosphere is something that we can actually do as humans in a pretty short amount of time, because I've seen it work pretty successfully at one-shots, even really short games and stuff, right? Like, I run two-hour games at conventions, and I've gotten tables that click together like this, and they've Mm -hmm. never met each other before, right? It's actually a skill that you can kind of learn how to do. And if you're the person at the table who knows how to sort of make that happen, you can start making it happen by starting that domino chain, even for other people. Because that's just, it's a cool thing that you can do with groups of Mm -hmm. people. It's a social thing, right? And you can do it as a GM, but it's it's, it's really effective when you start doing it as a player. Because even though the GM is also a player, just by means of fulfilling a slightly different role and space in how you facilitate a game. I think it's really cool to see that happen in a player group as players initiate. And then once you have a sense of camaraderie as players and just a baseline sense of trust or like, yes, we're all going to collaboratively work on this story. I think you have the groundwork for creating a lot of magic as a group. I think that a lot of the reason that magical stuff happens with my group all the time, and I would assume that it's probably the same for you, but I won't presume to speak for you, um, <laughs> is because we've been playing with, I mean, there's been a little shuffling around, right? But the group that I've been playing with has remained largely the same for probably about the last five to six years. And we have had some like magical <laughs> moments and we're all GMs. And what that means is that when we sit down at the table, we all have that thing going on in the back of your head where you're like, where does the story go from here? And what is the most interesting choice that I can make as my character to keep things interesting and keep things going? To not say, to not be in the middle of the scene and then say, no, that's not what happens or whatever. Right. right? Um, Mm -hmm. and, And no is certainly a safety tool. But I think when it's not a safety issue, it's usually more fun to say yes. So it's also then on the players to say yes and 
can I say this? Because apparently this is the direction that I'm going in. This was not my plan, but I've been <laughs> apparently leading into it. So uh, Karen 12's book, Improv for Gamers 2, the second edition, Improv for Gamers, is currently on GameFound right now. And if you are interested in learning more improv stuff, in doing more teamwork, creating things as a player or as a GM, because it is such a good tool for um, starting these conversations and creating the atmosphere in which magical things happen at your table. I mean, it's certainly not the only way, right? Like these things happen organically, but if you want to give them like a kickstart, then it is obviously my opinion as I've been going down this path that (laughs) using a lot of the tenets of improv is one way to get there. And Improv for Gamers is a book specifically for you as a gamer <laughs> to help you get better at improv things like working together as a team collaboratively, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and making interesting choices. And I might be in it for like two sentences. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all are going to hear this in the middle of the campaign when they probably really need a boost because there's like that dead middle bit. It is on GameFound, not on Kickstarter. So this is also the first thing I've ever backed on GameFound. It's the first one they've ever done on GameFound. You should probably go check it out because we all want to know if the platform works. (laughs) We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. It's going to be really cool. They did a bunch of things and they also expanded into like a lot of people, myself sometimes included, are still playing digitally because things changed a lot in the last couple of years. And one of the things that's really cool about the second edition is that you can get a digital like pack of stuff for Roll20 so that you can do some of these like still digitally, which sometimes it's hard to do um, improv games digitally. So yeah. anyway, slash <laughs> advertisement, we can leave the part. <laughs> well, I, I was going to say as a segue from that, when I reviewed the original one, right. one of the things Great. that... <laughs> One of the things that they brought up that I think is very germane to this discussion is when people do things that are kind of over the top or out there that are actually, you know, when they get caught up in their emotions, so they do a thing. They're not looking and saying, I have this percent chance to hit, so that's what I'm going to do. But instead, they're like, I am so angry at that guy, I am going to, like, throw a rock at their head. When they get into that kind of emotional feeling... People are vulnerable when they are that emotional. And one of the things that you can do to shut people down is to make them feel like somehow that emotion was wrong. Like, you shouldn't be getting that into the story that way. That's silly. And that is, that's one of those important things for the, you know, for the magic to happen is to not shut down. As long as it's Mm -hmm. not a dangerous emotion, as long as it's not, you know, causing harm to anyone else. If someone is getting into playing their character and they're excited and they're really rolling with it, especially if you're the GM, you set, you kind of set the tone for the table. And if you kind of roll your eyes and act like, oh, this person, how, why are they going this far over the top? you're going to spread that to the rest of the table and they're all going to think yeah why would they do this this is kind of this is kind of silly and that's not what you want to do <laughs> uh you know that that's one of those things that you can do to get out of the way if you're going to laugh at somebody that is going over the top let them know you're laughing because you're getting joy out of what they're doing or because you're empathetic with the character if they're being silly not because you think they are being foolish right yeah that's i think that's really key And I think speaking as someone who has no shame and um, will sit down at a con table and then be that person partially because I want to 
like it's something that I can you can do both as a player and as a GM to specifically set the tone if you are comfortable doing it is to play the amount of emotion and role play that you would like to see from others mm -hmm. and then let them meet you there or go past that or not as they are comfortable. But as a GM, I think especially you have the opportunity to set that kind of expectation mm -hmm. by doing it yourself, <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole separate conversation potentially. Um, <laughs> but it again leaves then the space for the creativity and the yes and moment, yes and moments that you hope for and want to have at your table when the magic happens. <laughs> it's just so cool. Players come up with the coolest ideas that you will never come up with. Yeah. I was running a masks game at the last Gen Con I went to, which I want to say was 2017. I had a table full of strangers, didn't know anybody there. They had created a bunch of kids who all had decent links to each other. And, and as we played, it ended up being a scenario that involved legacy characters, like older characters who had retired from superheroing and had these artifacts that were being stolen by somebody. And in the end, it turned out that the, the person stealing the artifacts was trying to combine them to get enough power to open this gate to another dimension to allow this invasion force to come through. And one of the players was like, I reach out and grab, it was like his grandfather's cane that was part of his costume or something. And he's like, I reach out and grab a hold of it, even though I know it's too full of power. At which point the next person goes, I'll grab his hand and help him. Oh, man, yes. And like, like everyone just started getting <laughs> so excited and so into it. And just like in Guardians of the Galaxy, they defeated yes. evil by holding hands and friendship. That's awesome. And like, this is nothing I could have planned. This was just mm -hmm. letting the players throw their spin like taking the things the players give you, making them important, and then letting them figure out the way to solve this and be awesome. I think I think that's one of the keys is is let your let your players' characters be awesome. You know, and and that's for traditional games. And going back to what Jared and Senda were just saying, let the players and the characters have the emotions that are relevant to the scene they're in. This is all actually making me also think of, and do you remember when we played Masks on Jesus Super Geek? <laughs> oh, I love that episode. It, oh, yes. It's really good. I love good. that episode the so much. The most magical thing, and I, I have, I was not involved in this in the slightest, right? I was the only player who was not involved in this. I have tried to figure out for years how we managed to set up a perfect, like, three repetition of it was so like, good. I know you think you're ready for I this. I know you think you're ready for this, but you're not. You need to stay here, stay safe, right? Like I don't even and every time it happened, in every situation, it was like such a clear example of like how as teenage superheroes we were trying to emulate who we thought we should be and like all of these like cool bits and pieces that I don't know if we were thinking about it while we were playing it, but because it followed a very specific story structure accidentally, it ended up being really beautiful. And it's one of the favorite, one of my favorite episodes I think we have ever recorded because it completely unplanned ended up following, like I said, a really specific story <laughs> structure, but like, there's no way you can plan for that. 
No. As a GM. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, initially started with me having Katana, the NPC, tell the kids to stay and be safe, knowing that the players are we never were going not to allow that to that. happen. We were not going to do that. No. And then Andy <laughs> and Emily not. both at later points had their characters <laughs> say it to NPCs that they were protective yes. of. So good. And I'm just like, so <laughs> delightful. Anyway, that was a fantastic game. By yeah. the way, just in, I, I just in case you were wondering, I still think about it anyway. <laughs> I think I sent the link of that. I, I never heard if he actually listened to it, but I sent the link of that to my dad going, if you ever want to know what I actually do. <laughs> Here it is. Just slide it across the table. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I mean, that that's one of those. It's another one of those just instances of like, I, I guess, be open to the possibilities. Is this the real advice we're giving? tonight yeah i think so open to the possibilities of the universe man (laughs) (laughs) like ride the vibe this this goes for both both gms and players yeah it's like be open to the possibilities yeah like one of my all-time favorite character friendships was Jared's Furbolg and my Tabaxi in in John Arcadian's uh, Storm Giants game, and it's like we didn't really, you know, like we're just like he's like, oh, your character is adorable. I'm going to protect her, and like from there, it's like just these two characters have this really strong friendship that just made the game so much more. And it's like this was nothing that was like planned. This is just. Something that we as two players are like, okay, this is cool. Let's go with it. Uh, like, so you as GMs or players, ride the vibe, man. <laughs> ride the vibe, man. Just feel that, that and our Goblin Ranger redefining what mountains were ever since. <laughs> <laughs> I thought these I'm, were mountains. I mean, I'm four feet tall, so obviously any hill is going to look like. <laughs> oh my goodness. So I think we've we've covered the topic pretty well. I mean, we could obviously go on for ages about this. Are there any last things you want to say about letting magic happen in your games? Yeah, no, I think the last thing to say about it is, like, let the magic happen. That's it. Like, that's literally, like, let it happen. Don't don't be the roadblock that is the reason that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Get out of the way. Just let it happen. As soon as you realize that the droid in your Star Wars game at the Senate hearing, is reenacting Tom Cruise's speech from A Few Good Men, but is projecting it on a screen because it's an astromech droid that can't talk, roll with it. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Just roll with it. You just gotta do it. I think that's good. I I think think we've, we've covered this topic really well. So let's get into our outro. This show is funded by the Gnome Stew Patreon. You too can be a Patreon backer by following the Patreon link on the Gnome Stew website to the Gnome Stew Patreon. This ad is brought to you by The Moment Bottle. You know that song that talks about saving time in a bottle that made for a fantastic speedster scene in an X-Men movie? Well, we've got that bottle here for you, and you can save any magical moment you want. Emotional resonance not guaranteed as time and distance may change perspective on these things. Your mileage may vary. If you're enjoying the Gnome Cast, you'll probably like many of the other Mr. Mark shows. Here's one to check out. Bone, Stone, and Obsidian. Jesse and Robert take monthly deep dives into the Dark Sun setting and discuss it across all editions of D&D. You can find all of us at GnomeStew.com, GnomeStew on Twitter, and GnomeStew on Facebook. Senda and Jared, do you have any other sites you want to give a shout out to? Senda, you need to talk about Misdirected Mark. 
I needed to talk about him. I wanted to talk about improv for gamers again. <laughs> you already talked about it. Yeah, I know, but you should probably go back it. It's gonna be really good. It's gonna be really cool. It's on GameFound. We'll put it. We'll put a thing in the show notes in case you forgot me talking about improv for gamers too. Again, you should just not forget about that. Anyway, you can um, catch a whole bunch more shows, not even just Bonestone and Obsidian, on the Misdirected Mark Network, including Pandas Talking Games another show where you can hear me talk a lot and be rather silly um, with Phil Vecchione, another gnome. It's cool. We do that thing. He was on last week's episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someday we're going to be on an episode together and it's going to be weird. Like You're going to be like, okay, it's Pandas Pandas and Angels. I think I've purposefully avoided putting you two together in an episode because I feel like I'd be stealing. It's just like, then it's a, it's a cross, it's it's a crossover episode. If we do that, then I want the audio too. I'll just put it on my feed. It's fine. Double dipping. It's fine. We did it with VXP a while ago. We need to do it with them again. Anyway. Anyway, sorry, Jared. Do you have a place that you want to talk about? It's okay. You should talk about your place. Sure. What do I know? JR.com is the other place where I post reviews. So go there. And that's it. Yay. And what about you? <laughs> no, I don't I don't have anything to shout out right now. I always forget to like I should find a thing and shout about it because <laughs> it's a good thing to shout about. You know what but... you should shout out about? Improv for gamers too. It's a game <laughs> right now. So if you don't take your promo space, yeah, then I'll take she's it. She's just for gonna you. move in and take your promo space. <laughs> and on that note, do you think we had enough magic to avoid becoming part of the stew this week? Uh yes. And and also <laughs> Gnomecast is hosted by Misdirected Mark Productions, the media arm of Encoded Designs. As long as Rob doesn't yell at me for my levels being bad, I'm like, I... Rar, your levels are so bad! (laughs) I did that so that I could check my levels. They're great. (laughs) (laughs) Rar.